Shlach. Now the parish of Shlach, there are two, um, there are two kind of serious questions about the parish of Shlach. Assuming, assuming that you all remember the story about the spies, the spies went to, into the land and they came back and they disparaged <coughs> Eretz Yisrael. The Jews uh, went for it and they were punished severely. The severe punishment for the Chaita Maradlim was that every single person died. Every person was involved in that. And that took, it's true, they died natural deaths and it took uh, 38 years for that to happen. Nevertheless, it was an extraordinary punishment. There was no other punishment in the Torah that compares to it. So the question is, of course, what is the, what is the severity of this transgression? What is the severity of the transgression? After all, the Rishonim already asked, the Ramban asked, the Barbanel. <coughs> After all, the Jews came to Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the story told in Tvarim, and they said, we want to send Muraglim. We want to send spies. Moshe Rabbeinu, even if he didn't like it, he agreed. In the beginning of the parasha of Shlach, which is our parasha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha Anashim, which sounds like a command. Now, if you're going to take a chance on sending Miraglim, then you have to take a chance that the result will not be exactly what you think it might be. I mean, why are you sending the Miraglim? <coughs> you're sending the Miraglim, the spies, to find out what the nature of the enemy is. Now, if they come back and they're scared or nervous or unhappy, even if their prognosis is poor, it was part of the, it was the, a reasonable possibility. When you send the Miraglim, the result might not be exactly as you want it to be. So why is this considered to be such a great transgression? Now you could expand the question by comparing it to the Chaita Egel, the golden calf. Chaita, the golden calf, even though the Rishonim disagree as to whether the Chait, the sin of the golden calf was idolatry, real idolatry, or just close to idolatry, <coughs> nevertheless, it is very hard to avoid saying the word idolatry when discussing the golden calf. Now you know that the punishment for the transgression of the golden calf was immediate, it was direct, people died, but then history continued. There was no stoppage of history as there was after the Chait of Maraglim where 38 years was spent wandering around in the desert and not accomplishing very much, not going to the next stage. Chaita Egel did not stop history. Chaita Maraglim <coughs> did stop history. And even though there's a certain severity in the Chaita Egel, it doesn't compare 
to the Chaita Maraglim. You remember the Pasuk, the first, uh, the first source on the sheet, Vata Lech Nechayeta Am El Asher Dibarti Lach. After the Chaita Egel, God says to Moshe Abenu, Take down the people as I've told you. My angel will precede you. Pakdi is, is a remembering, a time of remembering. When I remember B'nai Yisrael, I will remember them this transgression. Rashi explains, Rashi explains that Kaddish Bokha said, right now the Jews are not going to be punished as they should be punished. They will not be punished. But in the future, whenever punishment is necessary for B'nai Yisrael, I'm telling you what Rashi said, they will be punished a little bit for the Chaita Ega. But even though Rashi says <coughs> that the Chaita Ega is with us all the time, and every exile, and every defeat, and every, uh, every terrible time that we go through, we're also being punished for the Chaita Ega, it is nevertheless true that the Chaita Ega did not stop the march to Eretz Yisrael. But the Chet HaMeraglim did. The Chet HaMeraglim did. So we see that there's something about the Chet HaMeraglim that has to be investigated, further thought about. And so, uh, <coughs> if you look at the second source, the second source describes the Chaita Maraglim in the Psukim, right? The first Pasuk says, Vatisakol Aida, Vaitnuet Kolam, Vaivkuha Ambalalau. They were all crying. They heard the report of the Maraglim and they were not able, they were not able to contain themselves. If you look at the next source, the night of the Bechia, the night of the crying, was Tisha B'Av, the Gemara says. You are crying for no reason at all. I am going to establish this day, Tisha B'Av, as the day of universal Jewish crying. Now, all the terrible things that are going to happen to Am Yisrael are going to happen on Tisha B'Av. So that <coughs> the Gemara says, not only was Tisha B'Av, not only was Tisha B'Av, the Chet Baraglim, a terrible kind of uh, transgression, which caused the stopping of history for 38 years. They went nowhere. You know, that's called... That, that, that's stopping. Stopping history. It wasn't like they had to be in one place, but they were in a place on the way to Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't go any place. They went around and around and around, not going any place. Besides that, 
the transgression was so severe that in kind of mystical terms it established a day, a time in which all terrible crying would take place. Imagine that. That's what they that's what they the Gemara says. So however you understand the Gemara, that doesn't you know that doesn't bother me. Right? You can say whatever you want, but it means that the Gemara saw this day as being a day of consummate transgression, a day of ultimate punishment. A day what was the day of the Chaita Ega? Do you know? No, you don't know. We don't know. We don't have to know, but we know the day of the Bechiyah, of the crying of Am Yisrael in the desert. And that day, <coughs> that day was Tisha B'Av. So the Jews created Tisha B'Av, which they slept around with them forever, apparently. It's always there. It's always there. Even if the Beit HaMikdash is rebuilt, Tisha B'Av, it's a question in the Gemara, but Tisha B'Av would probably remain. So, we wonder. We wonder. It reminds me of the confrontation, the first confrontation that we have with Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, the Chazal said, where did he come from? Where did Avraham Avinu come from? So the answer that Chazal gives <coughs> is that Avraham Avinu was a thinker. Avraham Avinu was a philosopher. Avraham Avinu had this, this knack of looking at the world and understanding something that other people didn't understand. He discovered God. He discovered the Creator. He was, in modern day parlance, he was, he was a, a philosopher, a good philosopher, a true philosopher, Avram Avinu. However, in the Torah, nothing of this is mentioned. We don't hear anything of Avram Avinu's philosophy. How does the Torah introduce us to Avram Avinu at the end of the parish of Noach, the beginning of the parish of Lech Lecha, Avram, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha, in other words, a mitzvah. That's Avram Avinu. He's the one who is doing the commandment. What commandment is he doing? He's going to Eretz Kinaan. He's going to Eretz Kinaan. So that when we think of Avram Avinu, and we want to think about him in order to emulate whatever can be emulated, Avram Avinu is the man of the mitzvah. The man who did the mitzvah of going to Eretz Kenan, but not the philosopher. Apparently, apparently, <coughs> philosophy is not a prerequisite for being a good Jew. But listening carefully to the divine demand, that is, that's Avram Avinu. That's Avram Avinu. So if I say, it was a terrible thing. It was a misconception. It was based on a misunderstanding. It was philosophically incomplete and impure. So we can say, okay, okay, people can make mistakes about philosophy. But they cannot make a mistake about Eretz Yisrael. It's inconceivable that somebody would not understand 
that the purpose of Yitziat Mitzrayim, after God explained it to them, and Moshe Rabbeinu explained it, that the purpose of Yitziat Mitzrayim was to go to Eretz Yisrael. And how could any Jew imagine that after the miraculous salvation from Mitzrayim and Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, that God would not be careful in bringing them to Eretz Kenachim and establishing them in that place. How could anybody think such a thing? So that there are Averot that come up from time to time and they seem to be overwhelming. But in fact, in fact, they're less important because people make certain kinds of mistakes and don't understand always what the implications of idolatry is. But to make a mistake about Eretz Yisrael, I mean, it's not possible. It's not possible to make a mistake about Eretz Yisrael. So that's Avram Avinu. <coughs> and you know that the story of Avram, that Yitzchak, Yaakov, Mitzrayim, are all connected to Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is kind of the, the lodestone of the book of Bereshit. And not only the book of Bereshit, but interestingly enough, interesting enough, the story of creation, right, is the story of distinguishing a place from other places. Ganeiden from every place else. What is the punishment of Adam? You're out. You're no place. Where did Adam and Chava, where did they go when they were kicked out of Gan Eden? I don't know. They left us with the memory of a place. Cain, what was Cain's punishment? I mean, he had several punishments, but originally his punishment was to wander around. Right? Noah didn't have a place. Didn't have a place. He was in a boat. He was on the sea. Didn't have a place. So that somehow... The stories of creation force us to think in terms of a place. That the nation needs a place. The nation has to be some place. It cannot be no place. So that deviations in philosophical ideas or thinking over the ages, it's okay. I mean, not okay, but we'll get through that. But to forget about Eretz Yisrael is inconceivable. Inconceivable. I want to tell you, again, you see there's a pasuk from Yechezkel. There's a well-known pasuk in Yechezkel. The pasuk says, Gavani nasati et yadi lahem bamidbar. Nasati et yadi lahem. I raised my arm to them. I think means against them. It's the language of punishment. I punish them, the Pasuk says, in the desert. We're talking about the Meraglim. To disseminate them amongst the nations and to, that they should dwell in many, in many lands. So of course everybody asks, what is the Pasuk talking about? This wasn't the punishment of the Meraglim. Pajaragli was that they wandered around in the desert. What does this mean? What could that mean? Another pasuk. 
in Tehillim. The te- Pasuk in Tehillim says, Vayimasu, it's a bunch of psukim, four psukim. Vayimasu be'eretz chanda, eretz chanda is Eretz Yisrael. Vayimasu, they found it disgusting, they hated it. Lo ha'eminu lidvaro, they did not believe that God, when God told them that he would bring them there. This is obviously a reference. You remember the Psukim to the Miraglim. They, they, they were screaming around in their tents. They did not listen to God's voice. Similar to Yechezkel, raised the head to strike them down in the. <coughs> <coughs> in the desert, or appeals are ambago yevlis rotamba aratzot la appeal to to uh, to destroy their their seeds amongst the nations. Ulis rotamba aratzot. So again, you see this idea of disseminating them amongst the nations, and and, and that would be a punishment. But these psukim that are listed, tvarim perek dalit. Vayikra perekavav and varim perekavay all psukim that mention disseminating Am Yisrael amongst the nations. But those psukim refer to the punishment of exile after they come to Eretz Yisrael. After they are in Eretz Yisrael, then they are to go in exile. So here we have it. The problem that we began with was what is the... Uh, what is the nature of the transgression of the Miraglim that makes it so serious? And how do we differentiate the Miraglim? How do we differentiate the Miraglim from the Cheta Ega? And you know when Yoshua bin Nun brought B'nai Yisrael finally to Eretz Yisrael, he sent Miraglim. He sent Miraglim into the land, the beginning of the book of Yoshua. How is it possible that Yoshua bin Nun, who certainly knew the story of the Miraglim, he was one of them. He was one of the twelve Miraglim that Moshe Rabbeinu sent. And he was one of the two Miraglim that was allowed to live and come into, into Eretz Yisrael. And he himself said Miraglim. I mean, what was the what was going on? So finally, I have a quote from the Meshech Chochmah. I saw this uh, this is uh, a quote that doesn't come from the <coughs> the reg- it's not included in the regular Meshech Chochmah, but it is quoted uh, by Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook in uh, the Tivot Yisrael and, and uh, there's no reason to doubt that it's authentic. This is to the Meshachach. Meshachach is the Meir Simcha, who was the Rav in Dvinsk. In Dvinsk, there were two Rabbanim. It was a very small Jewish community. There was Rav Meir Simcha, a great, a great genius, and the Ragachava, also a great genius. So I guess uh, it wasn't easy to get a job as a rabbi in those days. All the positions seem to have been taken by uh, great geniuses. This is what the Meshachachma says. 
He says, "Ikpid Hashem Yitbarach al Kivod Haaretz Yotem al Kvodo Kiviyachol." So God was more concerned about the honor of Eretz Yisrael than His own honor. Ad Sheba Asiyat Ha'Egel Acherei Shuvam Machalahem. The story of the golden calf is that they did tshuva. And after they did tshuva, God forgave them. Vayinachem Hashem al-ra'ah asher dibeh v'asot l'amor. God forgave B'nai Yisrael and did not punish them as was originally intended. Al-hotsi'am dibata aretz. But when they came and they said that Eretz Yisrael is not such a great idea, and they found that kind of they were unhappy or disgusted disgusting with this wondrous land God swore and was not uh, appeased as it says in the Pasuk Alta'alu you know that pasuk? After the Chaita Edom, Moshe Rabbeinu told them the punishment. What did B'nai Yisrael decide to do? They decide, oh, oh maybe we made a mistake. Right? And, and maybe we should go. Maybe we should be there. And so they, Epilu, they went up on the mountain and they were confronted by, by, by several nations who defeated them roundly and Moshe Rabbeinu told them don't go because you don't have God with you again that's the Pasuk the Pasuk says Al ta'alu ki ein Hashem God is not in your midst so this idea that God might be in your midst that God might be with you is connected, is connected to Eretz Yisrael. And the punishment of B'nai Yisrael was really a, a way of recovering themselves and bringing themselves back to an appreciation of Eretz Yisrael. <coughs> you know, in Chassidut they say, remember the, the Pritzadik uh, said, how can it be, how can the Jews reject Eretz Yisrael. I mean, after all, uh, they're in the desert. What's the big deal about being in a desert? They didn't have buildings, they didn't have homes, they had a portable mishkan. And here, Kodesh Baruch said to them, go to Eretz Yisrael, you'll get the whole ball of wax. You'll get houses, you'll get uh, shopping centers, you'll have credit cards, and you'll have, you'll have a temple that will be the envy of everybody in the world. Go to Eretz Yisrael. So the Brit Sadik asked, what, what was wrong with them? Were they crazy? And God says, go. And they don't want to go. So the answer that he gave, the answer that he gave was, their mistake was understandable. Why? So what was B'nai Yisrael doing in the desert? Well, all the men, <coughs> and for all I know, all the women, were in a colon. 
the Rosh HaKolel was Moshe Rabbeinu. The assistants who went over the Sheyurim that were given in this Kolel were Aaron HaKolel, Miriam Hanaviyah, Yoshua Benun, and that's what they did. Now they wanted to eat lunch, they put out their hands and they got a, you know, man hamburger sandwich because the man tasted any way you wanted it to taste. And if you wanted a Coke, you went to the to Miriam's Coke well and you got Coke. And everybody seemed to be healthy. And they weren't aging very much. So the people, Pritzadik said, the, pre, the people said, this has got to be a mistake. This idea about going to Eretz Israel. What are we going to do in Eretz Israel? We're going to have to fight wars. And we're going to have to build a society. And we're going to have to have a government. And we're going to have to decide how to elect a president. This is all what we're going to have to do. And now, it's all, it's all worked out. Nobody fights with anybody. If you have a Shiloh, you go to Moshe Rabbeinu, pretty good. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know the answer, so he consults with the Rebbeinu We have the Olmo 8. We're sitting and learning Torah. <coughs> We're in a perfect situation. So that it must be that Eretz Yisrael is the default position. It must be that Eretz Yisrael is where you go if you don't go to Shir. Eretz Yisrael is where you go if you don't want to be in the cola. Eretz Yisrael is where you go if you want to make your own hamburgers. So B'nai Yisrael, again, the Pritzadik, I keep telling you that the Pritzadik says that they thought that Eretz Yisrael was the default. It's for the people who didn't make it. <coughs> the people who did make it stay at Har Sinai. Stay with the Torah. Stay with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what they, that's what they thought. That was their, that was their mistake. So when they sent the Miraglim, they purposely sent the Miraglim because what were the Miraglim going to say? Well, it's a, it's a regular country. It has a little of this. It has a little of that. It has buildings. It has grapes. It has oil. <coughs> you know, uh, olives. It's regular. That's what the, the they knew that the that the Miraglim would have to say. And so the Pritzadik said. So they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, "But you want to send us into exile in the land of Canaan? That's what you want? Here we are, almost on the forty-nine. The Ramban points out the forty-nine Sharei Bino." Right, we're at the 49th level of understanding. We're going to go to, to Eretz Canaan and, and dig stones out of the ground so we can plant tomatoes. So this was their mistake. This was their mistake. When God created the world, and we see this in Adam and Chava and Cain and Noah and Avram, the intention was that within that world man could create a place that was appropriate for the dwelling of a Kodesh Baruch that's what the Mishkan is that man could do it man could do it and overcome the mundane and overcome 
are the limits of regular life, which are very impositional, very hard to be regular. It's always something to do, always something to take care of, always some misery to treat or some joy to join into. Everything is a distraction from the Matan Torah of Har Sinai. So they said, the people said, what do we need that for? What do we need that challenge if we're already beyond that? But they didn't understand. They didn't understand that. (coughs) That they were obliged to be humane. And humanity is about making the world a good place or making a place in that good place for God as well. That's our job. And you know, in the desert, there is no place. And the Mishkan didn't really exist because every time they moved, they took it apart and put it back together again. And that's not a place. And that is represented by the Psukim in Yecheskel and Tehillim. You don't have a place wandering around the desert and being distributed amongst the nations of the world is exactly the same thing. Because you can't create permanence. Now everybody knows, you don't have to be an alarmist, but everybody knows that all the good diasporas come to an end. And they're replaced by, I guess, less good diasporas. And that's what the people did not understand. And so if you look closely at the story of Yoshua bin Nun, and the, uh, he didn't send the spies to find out. Do you remember the story? He didn't send the spies to find out about, <coughs> about Eretz Kenan, Eretz Israel, the roads and the, the buildings. And the, he sent them to talk to Rachav Azonah. He sent them to speak to Rachav, the prostitute. And what did they speak about? Well, if you read, you remember the story in Yoshua, the beginning of Yoshua, Rachav said to the spies, we know who you are. You are the people coming in the name of God. And when the spies went back to Yoshua Binun, they made an agreement with Rachav but when the spies went back to Yoshua Binun, they said, they know who we are. They know that we're coming in the name of God. And they know that God has given us this place. <coughs> so that Joshua Binun, by sending the spies, was solving a moral dilemma. He said, yes, it's true that God gave us this land. But it's not true that we could just take it any time. That we have no obligation to the people who live in that land. And so when Rachav said, we know who you are. We know that you are sent by, by God to take this land. We know that it's your time now. Then Yoshua bin Nun and the people were able to exercise their moral uh, uh, decision to follow God's direction. So they understood that even when God tells you it's yours, that doesn't mean that you could just kill everybody in your way. 
But you have to be able to take what is yours in a morally uh, acceptable manner. And that's what Joshua bin Nun did. He sent the Miraglim. The Miraglim said, they know who you are. And so Joshua sent word to the Canaanites that they can make peace or they can make war. And he knew that the ones who made war, they knew that he, Joshua bin Nun, had the right to, uh, uh, to make war in order to capture the land that had been given to us by the Rebellion Shalom. But you just can't take it, right? The Jews were in, uh, in Mitzrayim <coughs> for 210 years. Before that, they were had difficulty in Eretz Canaan because the time had not yet come, Chazal said. It's not any time that is appropriate to do anything. And Yoshua Binnan taught us that. So that uh, the Jews, the Jews sinned twice. They didn't understand the importance of Eretz Israel, And they didn't understand that only a divine directive can give them or bring them to Eretz Israel. Have a good chance.